Well, it is good to be here with everyone again this morning, and I'm so glad for the different ones we're out and the new acquaintances we get to make. God bless you. You're welcome here. Um, just God bless each of you. Just keep remembering my parents in prayer, as I said. They're traveling. And uh, also greet everyone who's listening online on the Internet. God bless you all. And last Sunday, I started a little series on the Book of Romans. And today, I'm just going to kind of pick up where I left off in that. And if you want, you can turn your, uh, your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And I'll just read the text for our lesson before we have our opening prayer. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1. I'm just going to start at verse number 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First... I thank my God, through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may be able to impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end, ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So much as is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. Amen. My title this morning is, I'm Not Ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, we approach your throne, and Lord, we ask you, Lord, just open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to see you ever more clearly, Lord Jesus. Lord, what we know not, Lord, teach us. And Lord, what we have not, give us. Lord, what we are not, make us. Lord, we ask that you do it for your sake. And in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm just going to continue my little lesson series here on the book of Romans. My objective when I started here is just going to kind of work my way through the through the book of Romans. And uh, last time we just kind of looked at the introduction part of the lesson. Uh, and here we're just starting to get to where Paul's wrapping up his introduction to the church. And most of what I want to focus on in this message this morning is really verses 16 and 17. But I do just want to make a few observations of the preceding verses before I, before I get down to those last points. But you know, in this section we've read, Paul, he's not really so much sharing doctrine. 
Um, but he's finishing his introduction to the Roman church, and he's setting up the topic that he's going to spend the next eight chapters talking about. And it's really in verse 16 and 17 where he starts to introduce this topic that he's going to spend the next several chapters on. But here in these first verses we read, um, even though he's not elaborating on them, he is briefly touching on certain important doctrines there. And maybe just let me point out a few of those. There in, there in verse number 8, Paul says, My God, my God. You know, maybe that can seem like just a little small saying, right? My God. But there's actually a deep understanding and revelation and doctrine connected to that. Paul's relationship with God is personal. He's Paul's God in a personal way and in a personal experience. He's not just a, merely an impersonal God that's far off in heaven, disconnected from his creation. But he's something personal to Paul. And Paul can say, my God. He's my God. And as we look at that, it sets a tone for each of us, really, in our relationships with God. Amen. God's not a distant concept. He's not a far-off being. Amen. But He's someone we can come to know. He's someone we can speak with. And He's someone who will speak back to us in His own ways. Amen. The Lord. He's someone we can get close and personal to. Yes. So much so that we can be just like Paul and say, My God. That's my God. Hallelujah. He's my God. I want Him. He's mine. Praise the Lord. I love to call Him my God. Not just God, but my God. It's personal. Hallelujah. And there's something else there in verse 8 that I think may be worth just drawing our attention to. But Paul said, I thank God through Jesus. Through Jesus. Again, just two little words, through Jesus, but that's a big statement. It's built on some important understanding. The way to God is through Jesus. Amen. Yes. God. Jesus said, no man cometh to the Father except by me. John 14. Everything we do towards God is through Jesus. Amen. We worship God through Jesus. We serve God through serving Jesus. We hear God through hearing Jesus. Amen. As, God, as Paul here, he's demonstrating even, we thank God through Jesus. You know, Paul tells us Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And everything God wants to show us about himself, he has showed it to us through Jesus. When you see Jesus, you see that image of the invisible God. And so it's important that we keep Jesus highly lifted up and we keep him in his rightful position. Because there's only one mediator between man and God. And that's Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And Paul in that simple phrase, I thank God through Jesus. He demonstrates a very powerful doctrine that Paul expounds more deeply in other places. And another noteworthy thing here in these verses, I just point out a few things as we go along that just kind of jumped out to me as I was reading over these things. Another noteworthy thing here is that Paul has given us some insight into how he seeks the will of God in his life. And you know, that's something that uh, a lot of people often have questions about. I know once you preach a while, there's certain questions that people ask a lot, and I find that's one of them. How do I know God's will? 
How do I know what God wants me to do? How do I seek the will of God? And you know, I always like to look to Scripture for inspiration to know how to answer questions like that. And as we look here at what Paul writes in these verses, there are a few things we can take as examples of how he approached finding the will of God in his own personal life. And there in verse 11, and again there in verse 13, we notice that Paul, he has certain longings, certain desires in his own heart, of his own self. And Paul explains there that there's things he would like to do in a personal sense. And one of those desires is to travel to Rome and to visit the people there. And as he desires to go there, he makes it clear here that he's seeking to find out if his desire, his will, aligns with God's will. And as we read here, we see it's something he's praying about, something he's asking God about. He's waiting for some indication from God that his journey there would be prosperous or blessed before he decides to go or not. And I don't know about you, but there's sure lots of things maybe I've been faced with a big question about maybe am I going to go left or am I going to go right or am I going to keep going ahead or maybe I need to turn around and start running the other way even. <laughs> we can sometimes be faced with which way are we going to go. Amen? And, and it's good sometimes, especially when it's a big thing, that we take some time to find out what, what's God leading me to do? Which direction would God have me to go? Should I go over here? Should I go over there? Should I do this thing? Should I do that thing? And that's what Paul is looking towards as he thinks about going to Rome. And you know, if we went to the book of Acts, we'd find that in one instance, God gave Paul a dream that showed him where he should travel to. In another place, he mentions that he was just instructed by the Spirit. He don't really give us much explanation of, of how that worked. In another place, it tells of a prophecy that directed him to go one way. And so it lets us know there's different ways that God showed Paul what his will was in regards to his travels and the different things that he did in his life. And in this chapter, as he writes to the Romans, Paul, he's given us yet another example of how he sought the will about where to go, because he really wanted to go to Rome. And Paul could have woke up any morning and said, well, let's buy a boat ticket and let's go to Rome, right? He could have did that any day. But he never felt that God wanted him to do that at the time he had wrote this letter. So he never went and he never bought the boat ticket and he never went to Rome at the time that he writes this letter. He's waiting on something from God to make it clear to him that that was the right thing to do. And oftentimes, like Paul, we might have certain desires or longings to do a certain thing. And especially if, he, especially if it's something significant in nature, it's wise for us to seek God through, through prayer and waiting for some leading from his spirit to indicate what his will is. You know, and often that is a personal thing between us and God as individuals. God has to reveal his will to us personally. You know that? Which is not to say other people can't be used in that process, but somewhere God has to make a confirmation to us in a personal way. Amen? Amen? So I can't live my life on your faith and what God showed you. I can't live my life on what other people and their confirmations, and I, I, I trust them. I'll let them make their choices. But I've got to live my life and make my decisions on what God has showed me personally, what God's dealt with me in a personal way and revealed himself to me in a personal way. 
Amen. And I just have to walk in that way. And that's, that's what I'm seeking to do my best in. It would be foolish for me to do otherwise. It would be foolish for anyone to do otherwise. Amen. It would be foolish for me to ask anyone else to do otherwise. Praise the Lord. God reveals his will to us in a personal way if we'll seek it. Amen. And as Paul alludes to here in his letter, he's waiting for some kind of a confirmation from God before he will go visit the people in Rome. Amen. Now the final observation here I'd like to make on these introductory verses, it's kind of it's just concerning the power and the importance of the Christian community. And there in verse 8, Paul says something that, that really got me thinking about this. Again, in verse 8, he said that he is thankful, thankful for the Roman church. And, you know, when he says that, it's not just mere words to make the church in Rome feel better, right? I mean, sure, people like a compliment. But, but Paul's making a truthful statement. Paul is thankful for their church in Rome. Because like all of the Christian community, the church in Rome, that church in Rome is a, a potent evidence, and it's a powerful reminder of God's power and God's goodness. And in verse 8, Paul went on to say that the faith of the church in Rome was spoken of all over the world. That church community in Rome was an inspiration to others all over the world. And I'm not saying let's all go be Catholics. <laughs> That's not where I'm going. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The church, though, in Rome in those days was a different kind of church, if you know what I mean. Amen. As we go through here, Paul, he doesn't talk about this church in Rome at that time doing any outstanding miracles or having any great special teachers or don't even mention that they maybe had a particularly large congregation or anything like that. You know that when you read this book in, to the Romans... There's absolutely no indication that there's anything very outstanding about this church in Rome. And as we read this, none of the characteristics of those kind of things come out about the Roman church. And to me, that's, that's a little bit of a powerful thing, I think. Because the inspiration that is provided to the world of Christians by the church in Rome was not because of some great thing or some great teacher or some great miracles in their midst that they were boasting about. But the church in Rome was inspiring the other Christians in the world merely because they existed. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And, you know, to me that's a powerful thing. Because sometimes we think that to be an inspiration or a benefit or a help to others that we maybe have to have a lot of outstanding gifts or talents. I'm sure before long there was plenty of outstanding gifts and talents in that church in Rome, and God certainly blessed the church with those things. But the truth is, sometimes you're just a help and a benefit to others simply because you exist. Praise the Lord. And maybe let me explain what I mean by that just a little bit. If you remember in my last message, I talked about the terrible conditions in Rome. It's a place where you think it would be very hard for Christians to thrive and to take root. But the mere fact that a church had sprung up in the heart of the empire's great city, that in itself was an inspiration and a source of hope to Christians all around the world. The mere fact that some people existed in this city of Rome who had come to faith in Christ 
that fact alone was enough to inspire the Christians around the world. That's the power of the Christian community. It's a light to both those on the inside and those on the outside. And it's, a, it's an inspiration to our fellow believers. The Christian community is a source of affirmation, a source of hope and a proof of the power of God. Hallelujah. I don't know how many people were sitting in the Roman church when that letter from Paul showed up. It might not have been very many. I don't know if there had been a single miraculous thing happened in that Roman church. I don't know that there had even been a single operation of the gift of the Spirit in that Roman church. I don't know even if any great preacher had ever been to that church ever. But that church was an inspiration to the entire Christian world, said the Apostle Paul, just because it existed. Amen. That itself was a miracle. Praise the Lord. That's something I feel maybe I've personally come to understand in certain ways in recent times. There's Christians out in the world today, people who are there, and maybe the way many people would measure them, they don't seem to be very outstanding. But to me, the mere fact that they exist is a great source of hope for me. It's a great comfort to me just to know that these other Christian people exist because I know the facts around them. And the fact is that they've been able to rise up and to serve Christ and come to faith in Him despite the hard environment that they had grown in. They came to faith in Christ in conditions that were unfavorable, yet they are the existing evidences of the greatness of God. Amen. That's a source of comfort, a source of hope. And when I read Paul's words there in the 8th verse and in the 12th verse, as he talks about how the church in Rome is a comfort to him, I very much believe a lot of it just had to do with the mere fact that these people existed in Rome. Amen. The mere fact that these people in Rome have come to faith in Christ, that they were able to become established in Christ in such a harsh environment, that fact alone is a joy and a comfort and an inspiration to Christians the world over. Praise the Lord. And Paul, he was given hope and comfort by knowing that a church had sprung up in Rome itself. And just as others can serve as inspiration to us, you know, we too can be an inspiration and a hope and a comfort to others, ourselves. Because here we are, we're not a great group by any of man's measures, that's for sure, and in a place where conditions would certainly seem harsh to some, <laughs> yet here we are, praise the Lord, you know it? And I pray that in our own little way, this little church here can just be a hope, an inspiration, and a comfort to others. You can survive. You can thrive. You can get through the hardships and the difficulties, and you can serve Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And when you do that, you will be a hope and a comfort Amen. to your Christian neighbors, amen, who are back there looking for the way to go themselves. Hallelujah. And I've heard the saying before, grow where you're planted. You know, I think in some cases that's true, right? That's what we're doing today. We're growing where we've been planted. We're showing the glory of the Lord right here where he's put us in whatever small way that we can. And I want to encourage everyone listening today, scattered around the world, just show forth 
the glory of God wherever you are, and you will be a hope and an inspiration and a comfort to others. Praise the Lord. And just like the Apostle Paul, we're, we're living in an hour where there are a whole lot of people that I personally know that need a whole lot of comfort and hope and inspiration. Amen. There are people around the world I know that are standing with us. They're in love with Jesus. Amen. You just stand where you are. You be a beacon where you are. Our brothers and sisters in Norway, God bless you. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, in South Africa, our brothers and sisters in Canada, God bless you. Brothers and sisters in Poland and the Czech Republic and around the United States, whoever hears this message, our brothers and sisters in Africa and Rwanda and Uganda and Kenya and Liberia and India, amen. All the ones that we've been blessed to come into fellowship with in these recent days who've come from the places that we've come from, amen, who are walking a path like we are walking, amen. Your faith gives us hope and comfort and inspiration. Thank you. Hallelujah. Amen. And thank each one of you, praise the Lord, for the comfort and the inspiration and the hope that standing for Jesus puts in my heart. Praise the Lord. And I hope that wherever this message goes and whoever hears it, that you are inspired to make a stand for Jesus. There are people who are trapped today, and you are able to make a difference for them. You're able to be an inspiration to show them a better way. You can find a community of faithful believers in Jesus. You can be an example, a light, a hope, an inspiration to others. And if you're not doing that today, I pray that you do. Because people are looking for hope. They are looking for reassurance. They are looking for places to go. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of standing for Jesus. Hallelujah. Those of us who are standing for Jesus, we are not the ones who need to be ashamed. Amen. It's those who have turned their back on Him. They are the ones who stand ashamed on the day when He appears. Amen. Let me pick up back over in 1 Romans. I'm just going to read verse 15 down, the ones I want to really focus on, the rest of the message. Paul says, So much as is in me, so much as in me is. I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Now you notice there the heart of a true servant of God in those verses. That's someone who wants to serve some meat in due season. That's someone who's being faithful to the great commission that was given by Jesus Christ. Paul didn't invent a new commission, not some new thing to do. He's just following the great commission that Jesus gave. He's obeying the words that Jesus gave him to fulfill. He's not burying the gospel in the backyard and covering over with some dirt right next to the grace of God where he buried that the week before. <laughs> no, he's serving it. He's putting Amen. it to use. He's using that gospel. He's Amen. using the grace of God. Amen. Hallelujah. And he's spreading it far and wide. He wants to spread it in Rome. And he's doing it to bring forth an increase. And you know, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel. Said Paul, amen. Says me, hallelujah. Verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, 
and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, those are really powerful verses right there. Those are verses that have sent millions of men and women marching to freedom. Those are the verses why you and I aren't Catholics today. You know, once upon a time, I'm sure all of our ancestors was Catholics. I know on my family, I don't got to go back maybe five generations. We's all Catholics. My wife's family is even closer. Goodness, two generations. But, you know, we, we have come out of those things, right? Praise the Lord. Just as many places today have, they've, the Roman church there ended up losing sight of these things. I want you to think about that. The very people that Paul wrote this letter to, so many hundreds of years later, their descendants of their very own church ends up completely losing sight of what Paul even wrote in this letter to them. You know, and the same thing repeats through history. Men come to know the gospel, and over time they just seem to lose sight of it through the generations of time. Things drift. They lose sight of the things that are wrote in books of the Bible like this one. But when men began to open their Bibles and actually read what was wrote in it. Amen. My brother is telling me he just preaches out of the Bible. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. When people began to do that, they began to realize that they had some things that maybe shouldn't have been there. They began to realize that their churches had put them in bondage. The Roman church had put their people in bondage. Their church had obscured the saving grace of Jesus, and they'd stopped preaching the true gospel. And when they discovered that, and what their leaders had done, many people began to run for the exits out of that place. And these verses are what launched that Protestant Reformation. Amen? Now I want to just take a little time and look over these verses and maybe just share with you how I was inspired as I read them. You know, there are people in the world who understand these things better than me. I'll be the first to admit that. Praise the Lord. And if you understand these things better than me, God bless you. Amen. I'll just share with you the best that I know. Praise the Lord. And there are several, there are several very important things here to notice. And one of those things here is the phrase that Paul uses when he says, the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. The gospel has power associated with it. When you and I share the gospel with others, when we proclaim it, when we speak it out, it has power. Amen. If you want to do something powerful, share the gospel. Amen. And, and what specifically is so powerful about this gospel? Like what, what powerful thing is it going to do? And as I read on here, I discover that the power of the gospel is the salvation that it can bring. When you preach the gospel, it will set people free. Hallelujah. It will bring people to salvation. It will set them free from sin. It will set them free from systems that you sin to keep them in bondage. It will give and show them the liberty that Jesus Christ offers. And if you see people in bondage and you want to set them free from their bondage, the power to set them free is in the gospel. Hallelujah. The gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. And if you want to see people saved from something, the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. That's what's going to do it. 
And my brothers like me who are desiring to set people free, they're preaching the gospel. They're sharing a message of power that will set people free. And today as a servant of Christ, just like Paul, I've been given power. And it's the power of the gospel. And I'm going to use that power to show people the way to salvation. And the way is Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Amen. And by the power of that gospel, souls will be set free. By the power of that gospel, chains can and will be broken. And by the power of that gospel, imprisoned souls will be set at liberty. It's already happening. We're already seeing the wonderful fruit being born from just sharing the gospel. It has the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes it. Amen. All they got to do is believe it and it is going to set them free. Amen. And it's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to, to believe. I know we were talking before service. Sometimes we thought things were so wonderful It was so good, but then it turned out to be too good to be true. But the gospel, the gospel is not too good to be true. What Jesus did is not too good to be true. It is true. It is real. And it is powerful. Hallelujah. And it will make a difference in people's lives. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Apostle Paul here in these next chapters of Romans, he's going to start to set these things out. And we might wonder exactly what the gospel is. And these verses set the stage to answer what the gospel is. The gospel is is the message of salvation. The gospel is the message of a Savior who came into the world to save. Amen. Amen. And the Apostle Paul, as we go, if we go through these next eight chapters, which if you come back for the next six months, (laughs) you'll get to hear the next eight chapters. Praise the Lord. (laughs) And the Apostle Paul here in these chapters, he's going to start going through all of these different things and telling what the gospel is. It's the most detailed explanation and exposition of what the gospel is in the entire Bible. And Paul's going to line it all out with scriptures, with reasonings, with illustrations, with personal experiences. And he's going to tell us just what this good news of salvation is all about The good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ to set men free from their sins. And in this introduction, Paul is also telling us that it is the job of the ministry and the saints and the church to make sure we remind each other of these essential truths. That's the whole reason Paul wants to go to Rome, to remind the people in Rome of these essential truths. He desires to come to Rome to share the gospel message. That's what he's been separated for. And that's the chief purpose of of all who've been called to God to share the gospel. Amen. You know, I talk about people that where I've come from, a preacher who never shares the gospel is a curious thing. I don't know if you've ever met anyone like that. Maybe I once fat into that category myself. God forgive me. Amen. But I'm afraid a preacher who never shares the gospel describes the vast majority of preachers I had had the pleasure, I should say, I guess, to have known in my life. The gospel, though, wasn't something they were terribly interested in sharing. They had other, maybe more important things to share. So they thought. I know we're not all from the same places, and it's not that way everywhere. But where I came from, that's how it was. 
Perhaps to them the gospel was just too routine or too simple of a thing. But it wasn't to Paul. To Paul, the gospel was powerful. To Paul, the gospel was immense. And it's important for us always kind of to be regularly reminded of the grandeur and the magnitude and the immensity of this thing. Amen. We're presenting to mankind the truth that God, who made all things in His image, has offered them salvation and forgiveness for every wrong and sinful thing they ever did. And it's free. (laughs) Hallelujah. And if they'll believe and have faith on the one who died for their sins, they can have it. They can have it. It's not some little minor thing to be glossed over once in a while. You know, where I come from, we did hear about it maybe every 20 years or so. Someone would mention it in passing. And whenever they did, it was always just like milk. I mean, I remember they would say, John 3.16, that's the milk of a foolish virgin. That was a pretty well direct quote. John 3.16, that's the milk of the foolish virgins. <laughs> that's the way they describe the gospel message to us, foolish virgin milk. And do you know, I, I can't think of an entire time in my whole life that I heard any of those people preach John 3.16 or those kind of messages without telling us it was just foolish virgin milk. Not a single time. My, it just wasn't, just wasn't important to them. And what's kind of quite ironic, where I came from, they could preach hell is not eternal, part 43. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> but they don't have time to preach a single sermon about the gospel. <laughs> yes. Amen. You know, preachers, have, some of them have seriously lost their way. Jesus, I don't think, was too terribly pleased with that. My. You know, if you're sitting in a place where the preachers went off the rails like that, boy, I don't know about that. I knew a preacher one time, he preached, Deacon Jones is going to hell 150 sermons in a row. That was the main topic of his sermon for 150 sermons in a row was certain deacon that he don't like is going to hell. My. And not a single sermon, though, in that whole time to talk about Jesus dying for our sins. But preachers like that exist in the world. You know, we can laugh now. There was a time I was crying over it, to tell you the truth, but I can give it a chuckle now. I cried over that stuff once upon a time, but now I just kind of chuckle at it. Preachers like that exist. They've stopped being stewards of grace. They've stopped serving the gospel, and they've started down a path that just leads to destruction if you don't turn around. My. And you know the saying, you are what you eat, right? Yeah. In the natural, they say that, you are what you eat. If we, if we eat uh, junk food in the natural, we're going to be unhealthy. You can tell what I eat a little bit of, right? <laughs> in the natural. But the same thing's kind of true in the spiritual. We are spiritually what we eat. You know, if we have a steady diet of grace and love and compassion, kindness, integrity, clean living, if that's what we eat, That's probably what it's going to produce in us, you know it? But if it's a steady-eyed diet of strange ideas and harsh language and weird things, don't be surprised that you end up producing strange, weird, harsh people. (laughs) That's just the sad truth because we are what we eat in that way. But as for me, I'm interested into looking into the things of the gospel, the things even the prophets and the angels desire to look into. Turn over to 1 Peter with me. I just put a couple verses here along with this from 1 Peter. 
First Peter. We'll see here how Peter loved the gospel and how he felt about it. First Peter chapter 1, verse 9. Peter says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now catch here. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us, as they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, which things... The angels desire to look into. My. You know, as you read those verses, you get a, a sense of the immensity of the gospel, the magnitude of it, the allure of it. The prophets of old diligently searched it. They were fine-toothed combs through the Bible wanting to know about this gospel grace. Seeking, prayerfully, desiring to know and understand. And even the angels of heaven have a desire to look into and understand the gospel. And you just kind of get a picture there in your mind, the way Peter describes it, maybe of, you know, we've no, it's not quite this way, but you just kind of imagine the angel standing on their tiptoes, straining their neck, trying to get a peek. Whatever they do to try and get a glimpse into something, they're straining, they're desiring to even see what's in the gospel. The angels themselves are so desirous to see and hear and learn those things. Get the places I come from, just called it milk for foolish virgins and little Christian babies. <laughs> they didn't have no need for it. But the angels love it. Amen. The prophets loved it. They love to inquire in it. Amen. And meanwhile, as there are many predictions of the end of the world have come and failed to pass over and over, generation upon generation has been born and grown and never heard the gospel preached. My, shame on them. Shame on them. But I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. You know, as we go forward, the, the first eight chapters of Romans, it's going to explain this gospel to us. As Paul gives us a, a detailed, comprehensive look at it. And as we go through this series, we're just going to build on it one block at a time. Amen. You know, people where I come from, they were ashamed of the true gospel. I'll just say it real plain. They was. Yeah. We was. That's why they never preached it. Because we couldn't just get up and say Jesus is enough. Yeah. We couldn't just get up and say, believe on Jesus as your Savior and be baptized into Christ. And that's enough that's to save you. Yeah. yeah, that's enough to get you to heaven. That'll be enough to take you in a rapture. We couldn't say that because it, it was shameful to us to say something like that. Because we're leaving certain things out that had to be in there every time, right? In the sense of people who turned out to have been tricking us. They don't believe that. They don't believe Jesus is enough. And if they do, then I dare them to start saying it out loud. Hallelujah. Amen. Go ahead, tell your people, tell them Jesus is enough. Amen. And, and I'll admit you're right. Praise the Lord. Amen. But I'll tell you right now. That's a phrase I never heard in all the years I was in those places. Jesus is enough. And I suspect it's a phrase that very few of them are capable of uttering from their platforms because they're too ashamed to say that.
But the thing is, that's not the only thing they're too ashamed to say, too. A lot of them are, are, are ashamed of the so-called gospel even that they do preach. They're ashamed in a lot of ways of their own beliefs. And you know how I know they're ashamed is because a lot of them, they don't like to share it with other people. They're so ashamed, they'll even discourage other people from sharing a lot of what they believe. They're ashamed for people to find out about it. If they go to school with them or they go to work with them or their customers or their neighbors, many of them would be utterly ashamed and embarrassed if the people around them found out the stuff that they believed. Amen. Because the people know that they're going to be looked at as crazy bonkers <laughs> if their neighbors find out half the stuff that they've been told to believe. And they're ashamed, a lot of them, to share what they believe. They're so ashamed of it that some of them even get on their platform and will publicly deny parts of what they believe because they want so badly to keep it a secret. I remember a certain deacon came to me and gave me the full revelation of the serpent seed one time. I remember another certain time a preacher came to me and gave me the full revelation of the serpent seed. He didn't hold nothing back. Even my pastor came and gave me the full revelation of the serpent seed. I remember another time one church service. Church service was over and the pastor's son comes up on the platform and he's got a picture of a person that looks a certain way and he goes, this is just what the serpent looked like, isn't it? And the pastor and everybody up on the platform all has their big belly laugh. Yep, <laughs> that's just what the serpent looked like. My goodness. They all got a great big belly laugh out of that. But you know, there was someone else standing on the platform that day. Someone who uh, uh, wasn't laughing. Someone who almost always had a smile on his face. But in that moment, he could not even muster a smile. Because he couldn't believe what was coming out of those men's mouths. It made him sick. I think maybe you know the man I'm talking about. But the things that they teach privately, the ideas that they share when the cameras and the tape recorders go off, they are ashamed of that. They're so ashamed of that that they will not publicly tell what they believe on those things. They're ashamed of their gospel, and they're proving it. Amen. And the truth is, they should probably indeed be ashamed of some of that, because yeah, it's right. nothing but garbage. <laughs> but you and I, we are not ashamed of the gospel. We are proud to stand here and say, and I'd say to anyone who asks us, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to save my soul. What he did is good enough. I don't need to add anything else to what Jesus did to save me. And his promise to come take me to heaven, if I will follow him, that promise is good enough to get me to heaven. And I don't need to add anything to it. He gave me his Bible right here. He gave me eyes to read, a heart to understand. And I can open up this book. And if I want to know what must I do to be saved, I can go read that verse and I can go do that. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, the Lord will come into my heart and into my life and lead and guide me. Hallelujah. And I'm not ashamed of that gospel. If I want to live my life, I want to know how to live it, I'm going to live a life like Jesus. That's what the Bible says. I'm not ashamed of that gospel. You know, when I read the way that Paul writes that verse there, Romans 1 and 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And it's maybe a little bit of an unusual way to state that. His, his choice of words there, you know, he could have said, I'm proud of the gospel, or I glory in the gospel, right? He says that in other places. But he chooses to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
And to me, that kind of implies that there probably were some people who were ashamed of the gospel, and he's trying to confront them with that in, in his day. Perhaps Paul's trying to convey a certain sense with those words that he chose. Paul says this to the Romans because he's trying maybe to encourage them to be proud of the gospel. You know, we can pretty easily imagine that the Roman church was probably hiding in the shadows, honestly, in Rome. There's lots of reasons that the Christians in Rome would have been hiding in the shadows. I mean, that was, if you got found out for that, that might be a big trouble for you. And by him saying, I'm not ashamed, Paul's encouraging his readers and his hearers to follow his example, to seek to overcome whatever shame they feel about the pure and simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's, that's good enough. Sharing the gospel is not something the church in Rome ever needed to be afraid to do. Amen. Sharing the gospel is something we can be proud of. Amen. So Paul, I believe, in some ways is encouraging them, step out of the shadows. Come out of the shadows. Make your faith in Jesus known. Make known that you're standing for Jesus Christ. And when Paul talked to Timothy here in 1 Timothy, he used the same language. He told Timothy, don't be ashamed. Find he talks the same way. Like I said, there's places in this world, they'll do everything they can to try and make you feel ashamed for believing the gospel. There's people that are doing that today, trying to make us feel ashamed because we believe the gospel. If you say, I believe Jesus is good enough, they'll attack you and try to make you feel ashamed for believing that. But if you believe Jesus is good enough, if you believe Jesus is enough to save you, if you believe following Him is enough to get you to heaven, if you believe being baptized into Christ is enough to make you part of the body of Christ, then that's not something I think you need to be ashamed of. You can be proud that you believe that. Paul was not ashamed to say that he believed that. Neither am I. And I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage all of my hearers today. You don't need to be ashamed of believing Jesus is enough. Amen. Amen. And please realize that, that that's the very basis on which all of our enemies attack us. It's all built on that foundation. That's why they hate us. It's why they speak against us. Because we believe and see and understand that Jesus is enough. Praise the Lord. Amen. He gave us his apostles, hallelujah, to write a New Testament, to help us understand what he wanted us to believe and to know. Amen. He gave us the Bible. He gave us his spirit. Amen. Jesus, he's enough. It's why people were ashamed of the gospel in Paul's day, though, too. You know, as we read Paul's letters, we find two different reasons that he gives why people rejected or maybe were ashamed of the gospel in his day. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it was foolishness. The world, they will reject the gospel as foolishness. The people who follow the wisdom of the Gentiles, they, they just rejected the whole thrust of the gospel, right? They, they refuse to acknowledge they're born in sin. They refuse to acknowledge they need a Savior. and also oh, baptism, those things just meant nothing to them. They refuse to acknowledge that they even needed someone to save them. Yeah, the whole concept of the gospel is just foolishness to them. 
And to the Jews, which were really bound in a Pharisee legalistic system at the time, the gospel was a stumbling block to them. The idea that someone could be saved freely just because they believed on Christ, that was a stumbling block. It let the person off too easy. That was too easy, too simple. It blew up their religious system. It, it took away their control. They enjoyed being in control of that religious machinery. And they liked the power and the influence that came with that. And with Jesus, people didn't need that anymore. They didn't need a priest to be their mediator. They didn't need all the extra rules the Pharisees had invented that weren't even in the Bible. They could live by the law of Christ and answer to him rather than the law of Moses and answer to the priests. And all of that was a stumbling block to the Jews. And because of that, there was opposition to the gospel, both from the world at large and from the religious world of Judaism. And it's easy to understand why people would feel ashamed to say they believed on Jesus because it was going to bring opposition from both sides. <laughs> and you know, if you never had any opposition, then you're probably not going to feel ashamed. But it's the opposition that comes against people that tries to make them ashamed. It's the attacks of the enemy to bring shame on people, like Paul's talking about. But Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. I'm not ashamed to say that I believe Jesus is enough. I believe what he did is enough to pay for my sins, and I don't need to add to it. I believe following him is enough to get me to heaven, and I don't need to add anything to it. And I believe that if I live a life that's patterned after him, just like the apostles gave us instructions about, then that's enough. Hallelujah. And I don't got to add to it. And I'm not ashamed to say that I believe that. And I'm not ashamed to say that I believe Jesus is enough. And I thank God he's enabled us to look into the Bible and find that that is what the Bible teaches us. Jesus told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. It's all in him. And he's enough. And if he ever, he even told us that there isn't another way. He's the only way. And I believe Jesus. Amen. And now, as I wrap this message up, I, I would like to end with maybe just one final point from these verses here. And I'll make that point by asking a question. Who is the gospel for? Who is the gospel for? And there in Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul gives us the answer. He tells us there who the gospel is for. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is for everyone who believes. And the only qualification there is they have to believe it. They have to believe it. Amen. And what did Jesus say? If they believe, you take them out and baptize them. Hallelujah. Amen. We, we get them in the water. Praise the Lord. And then they're going to get the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. There's only one qualification. They have to believe it. You know, skin color don't matter. The location don't matter. The nationality don't matter. The social status don't matter. Your background does not matter. Whether you send a lot or a little, it don't matter. <laughs> it don't matter. The gospel is for everyone, and Paul wanted to share it 
with everyone. Amen. And that's the beauty of the gospel. In a world where people are divided, where so many strong lines have been drawn to divide people and to pit groups against each other, in the church, in the kingdom of heaven, all that fades away. The divisive ideas that are prevalent outside the church, those ideas don't belong in the church. You know, the ideas of racism or classes of people and these kind of things is not compatible with the gospel. And the world today, you know, is looking for solutions to those problems. But the solution is in the church. Amen. Jesus Christ is the answer to this world's problems. Amen. If they could wake up and see it. The solution is in the church. The church is where all of those superficial divisions take a back seat. And in Christ, we are all one. Amen. He said, neither male nor female nor Jew nor Greek nor rich nor poor nor free nor bond. In Jesus Christ, we're all one family. Amen. And I hope as we read this verse that we can see that the gospel is for everyone, including the Jew. The gospel's for the Jews even. And if God gives you an opportunity to witness to Jewish people, there's nothing wrong with that either. Amen. The people who tell you, again, we know people who told us we weren't allowed to witness to Jews. Remember, I don't know if you all remember that. I, I heard of that a few times. You're not allowed to witness to Jews. It's not for them. The gospel is not for the Jews is what they tell us. But the Bible says the gospel is to the Jews first. And you can witness to a Jew too if you want. Hallelujah. First, yeah. The message of the gospel that Jesus Christ has paid for your sins so you can go free. That is a message for the whole world, for everyone who believes. Amen. Hallelujah. And when God comes into your life, he's going to transform it. Hallelujah. God's a life changer. Amen. And let me finish today by saying that if there's anyone listening here, anyone listening online, and these things have pricked your heart, maybe you're tired of carrying the heavy weight that religious systems have placed on you, where you're trying to earn your way to heaven by keeping a long list of rules that you never was able to find in the Bible, (laughs) or memorizing all the special revelations that you need to go in the rapture. If you're getting weary from all that, I want to introduce you to Jesus. I want to introduce you to true salvation. Jesus is perfect because you are not. Jesus took the punishment for your sins, and when you believe on him, you are covered. God don't double punish sins. Jesus already took the punishment for you. And if you've been baptized into Christ, you are part of the body of Christ. And if you follow Jesus, then he has promised he will come back and get you and take you to heaven one day. Amen. John 13, I love that chapter. Boy, I spent months just reading that chapter. It saved my life, I'll tell you the truth. If you want to know how to live your life in the meantime while you're waiting for that day, live like Jesus. Look at Jesus. Follow his example. Seek to be like him. And that is the gospel message. And it's simple. Hallelujah. So be free in Jesus' name. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for my friends, Lord. Lord, I thank you for my beloved friends, my beloved family. Lord, my brothers and sisters around the world. Lord, I pray for every soul in this place. Lord, you see each and every one. Lord, make the truth of the gospel real in each of our hearts. Lord, let us all be set free from all spiritual bondage. 
Help us to realize that if our hope is in anything besides Christ, in Christ alone, that our hope is vain. Lord, bless each soul. Lord, set free people. Break bonds. Lord, you see those facing turmoil, Lord. Lord, the decisions, Lord, to stand for you are, are, are leading down paths that, Lord, are maybe like the valley of the shadow of death. But, Lord, you are with us. We will fear no evil. Lord, I see my brothers and sisters around the world standing, Lord, for truth, standing for the gospel, standing for Jesus. Lord, you said you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, and I know you're standing right beside each and every one of them today. Lord, we may not have all the answers that we're looking for. Lord, there may be things, Lord, that take time for us, Lord, to, to come to an understanding of. Lord, there may be things we may not come to know till we wrap our arms around you in glory. But Lord Jesus, you've got us. Lord, and you're not going to let us go. Lord, because we have found you and you have found us, Lord, and nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Have your perfect way in everything I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. You all can.